At that time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? They stand outside a funeral for a soldier who has recently been killed. And the mourners see them as they pass and enter the sanctuary. And they read the signs, one held by a young child. That reads, thank God for dead soldiers. Another sign, presumably held by his mother or older sister, reads, repent or perish. And they go through and read all the other signs as they enter the funeral. Some which attack our LGBTQ neighbors and friends. Some just seem really just mean and hateful. The small Westboro Baptist Church out of Topeka, Kansas, um, which is really just kind of a big family and a few hanger-oners, have become well-known for these sorts of protests, preaching that death is the result of God's punishment on America and people who aren't morally upright. So they picket funerals and events, and they picket people, which is a strange thing to do, but they do it, pointing to death as the effect of sin in America. This thing happened because of their sin. And they're not alone. They're not the ones who invented it. I think of Pat Robertson, who for decades now has been making proclamations and predictions and pointing to different tragic events and saying why it happened. He did it for 9-11 in the Twin Towers. Hurricane Katrina, he argued, was a result of America's stance on abortion. The mass shooting in Las Vegas at the concert just a couple years ago. All of these connected to some sort of moral failure. Of the 2010 earthquake in Haiti, where over 230,000 people died, Robertson said this, and I quote, this is not a paraphrase, these are his words, the Haitians were under the heel of the French, you know, Napoleon III and whatever, and they got together and swore a pact to the devil. They said, we will serve you if you will get us free from the French. True story. And so the devil said, okay, it's a deal. Besides wondering where his source is on this story, and the interaction between the Haitians and the devil long ago, has a very clear worldview. God sent this earthquake, killed all of these people, because they were worst sinners. And maybe those who come to Jesus today uh, were big fans of the 700 Club. Maybe on their way to the event, they passed protesters standing outside of the funeral of one of the Galileans with their sign, God Hates Galileans. Maybe they thought Robertson and Westboro Baptist Church have some good points. I don't know. 
But they come with this question. They ask it of Jesus. Did the Galileans suffer under Pilate? Did they do so because they deserved it? Or they were sinners? And while the Westboro Baptist Church and Pat Robertson and maybe even those who come to Jesus today with this question um, are easy targets, we have evidence of this thinking, it seems, around every corner. Women who are sexually assaulted, one of the first questions that is asked, what are they wearing? What's their history? Were they asking for it? I I sat in a a jury selection committee and the attorney of the young African-American male who is um, uh, on trial asked, is there anyone here who can't uh, presume innocence for this young man? An older gentleman raised his hand. He said, I just have to be honest. I mean, if he's here, he did something. I asked more questions. He's like, I don't don't want to tell you, but he wouldn't be here if he had done something. And as it turns out, he was guilty of being black and driving a car on a street with a cop who had a bad day and took it out on him. That's what he was guilty of. That's what he did. I remember uh, the preacher at the church that I grew up at talking about um, AIDS was God's punishment for being gay because only gay people was getting AIDS and he was conspicuously quiet when Magic Johnson contributed. Um, uh, uh, contracted. contracted, thank you, son. Uh, <laughs> Contrived. <laughs> Let's mix that word somewhere. Yeah, yeah, you get the point. But there are even more subversive questions, I think, that we often ask that get at this thing that we deserve death and punishment. I sat with uh, Judy. Um, in the hospital room after her family had left and it was just the two of us I was her preacher, I was her pastor um, she, she had lung cancer and she was in the final stages and they knew that it wasn't going to be a long it wasn't going to be long a few weeks maybe and through tears she asked if I thought she did something to deserve it because she couldn't imagine anything like this happening outside of her doing something to receive God's punishment. Why is this happening? Why me? It is uh, one of the most prevalent questions I've heard in hospitals throughout 18 years of ministry. And even if we don't go so far as to say that other people deserve punishment because of their choices... More times than not, we're seldom very far away from at least wondering, at least we don't deserve things that happen to us. I mean, this lies at the heart of the question, why is this happening? The assumption, the assumption is that we haven't done anything to deserve this, right? And so they mention the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices because they, they assume... That somehow they deserved it. And they say this in, in a response to what Jesus um, had said in chapter 12. It's this long discourse that Jesus has where he says things like, Beware of the Pharisees and their yeast. Be careful what happens in the dark, for it will come out in the light. He says, Be careful what you whisper, because it will be shouted from the rooftops. 
He says, don't build bigger barns for yourself. Stop worrying about what you have. Instead, be on the watch for the kingdom coming near. And know that that which I bring will be divisive. Father against son, daughter against mother. It's this long discourse to say, hey, take care of your stuff. Uh, You're not as smart or as good as you think you are. So keep things in line. And, And he has this at the very end of chapter 12. In verse 54, Jesus also said to the crowds this, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, it's going to rain. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be a scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Jesus essentially says, you folks make better meteorologists than you do theologians. You can look and know it's going to rain or it's going to be hot. But you cannot look around and discern and determine what is happening around us. And so their response, their bringing up the Galileans, is trying to prove Jesus that they can read the signs of the time. You don't know how to interpret it. And they respond with an attempt to interpret it. They do know a sign of God's kingdom. And they can point to something that feels divisive. Hey, just look at what happened to the Galileans. That's a sign of the times, right, Jesus? And he responds with, wait, you, you, you think they did something to deserve this? As if they're worse sinners than other Galileans? No, I tell you. And I know we're going next. You're going to bring up the, the event at the Tower of Siloam and the 18 people who died there. Like, don't even bring those up because they also weren't more guilty than others. No. And please don't bring up the Twin Towers or natural disasters or wars or rumors of wars either. No. I tell you, God does not work this way. But while we're on the topic of people getting what they deserve, perhaps you should look inside yourself and repent. Or maybe, just maybe, you'll get the same fate. It is this strange, very non-Jesus-y moment for me. On one hand, he says um, that he refuses to agree with their premise that these people got what they deserved, But in the very next sentence, he does this twice. He says, if you don't take care of your stuff, you're going to receive the same fate. You will get what you deserve. I I like when Jesus says things like, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Thanks, Jesus. I like that one. (laughs) Peace I leave with you. My peace and gift to you. Thanks, Lord. I needed that. I need a little bit of peace in my life. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. I can agree with that. I don't know what I'm doing most of the time. But here he says, repent. Repent or calamity might visit you as well. It just doesn't feel very Jesus-y, does it? 
But here's the thing. Jesus has just spent this really long time talking to these people, saying, take care of your stuff. Worry about you. Don't think so highly of yourself, because you're not as good as you think. And the response out of the gate from these people is to point to the Galileans and the unsufferable, um, unspeakable suffering that they uh, uh, experienced, and they insinuate that they deserved it. And his response is, no, they're not worse than any other Galileans. How about this? How about you worry about yourself? Why don't you start there and repent? Um, A word about this word, repentance. Uh, It's fascinating to me that when Jesus uses it more times than not, uh, this is one of the rare cases, but more times than not, when Jesus uses the word repent, it's in response to the kingdom of God. It's not in response to sin. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. For the kingdom of God has come, therefore I say to you, repent and believe the good news. That repentance, this turning, is far more about turning towards something than it is turning away from something. Because it's possible to turn our back on any of the issues that we think are wrong, and still not orient our lives to a way of justice and hope and peace and mercy. And so when Jesus says throughout his ministry, repent, the call is to turn towards a life of flourishing, a life of goodness, a life of hope, a life that sees people. It's not about legislating morality. Jesus doesn't say repent so that you just simply won't do all the things that God doesn't want you to do. Jesus says repent because he wants you to turn to a life that's good. And I, I struggle with talking about repentance partly because of um, people like the Westboro Baptist Church and their signs that say repent or perish, partly because of the ways it's been misused. But I, I want to say this, like, God wants us to be better people. God longs for us to open up those places that we'd rather not disclose to one another or even to ourselves for the sake of transformation. This is is one of the great invitations of this season of Lent. That we have opportunity to open up those dark places in our lives that we hide or we minimize or make excuses for so that things can be made new. Because we try to figure out who got what they deserved and who didn't, as we try to decide what the signs of the times are, and what means what, Jesus invites us instead to look at our own selves, look at our own lives, and do the work that we tend to ignore. My, my best friend Aaron, who lives in Portland recently, uh, got a new spiritual director, like a 65-year-old uh, former Jesuit, priest, he got kicked out of the Jesuit order, which I don't know how that happens. Um, But in the second session, he told Aaron, he said, hey, I'm happy to do this. Uh, I'm happy to take um, the money that you give me. Um, But like, if you're not going to do the work on your own life, uh, I'm too old to spend my time with you. Do the work. Aaron said it was remarkably refreshing to have someone look them in the eye and say, hey, like you're here because you know there's places and things you need to attend to, so just, just do the work. Jesus looks at this crowd who are pointing fingers, 
and wondering, did the Galileans, the people of Tower Siloam, they get what they deserve? And Jesus wants to say, hey, don't, can you not worry about them? And how about this? Like, do the work. But he doesn't leave us empty-handed. He does give us something to sharpen our vision for what is happening around us. He tells this story, this parable of an angry orchard owner who's frustrated by this barren tree that hasn't produced any fruit for three years. And he tells the gardener, I want you to cut it down. I'm done dealing with it. And the gardener pleads and says, hold on. Let's give it a little bit more time. Let me dig up around it and fertilize it. And let's see what happens in a year. And then then you can decide. This is a sign of the times. This is a sign that God's kingdom has come near. It's not people getting what they deserve. The real sign of the times is the gracious and merciful hand that reaches out and stays the execution and says, let's give this hopeless case one more year. That's when you've witnessed that God has come near. Not in destruction. Not in death. But when the barren and the broken don't get what they deserve, but instead receive mercy when everyone else has given up hope. That's the sign of the times. Pastoral theologian uh, Seward Hiltner, which is a phenomenal name. Aiden, I wish we would have named you Seward. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the the nurse just left off the T of Steward and he stuck with Seward. I don't know. It tells a story about a state-run mental hospital. This is years ago. And there was a group of patients that the staff had essentially determined as unsalvageable. Like they were really beyond help. And so they put them in the, the farthest reaches of, of the hospital back into a ward. And they barely visited them, nurses and doctors. Uh, only did what was minimally required of them because there was no hope for them. And a woman's group from a local church began to visit the hospital, and um, no one informed them that this group of people were beyond hope. And so they started visiting them like they did everyone in the hospital, and they brought them flowers, and they brought them cookies, and they brought their general cheer. And over time, over a really long time, you know what happened? Uh, Where once there was no hope, they saw transformation. They saw people who, were, who had a little bit more light in their eyes. And on one hand, it might be a simple case of church ladies doing what church ladies do, but on the other hand, it's a sign of the times. It's God's kingdom breaking in. It's the gentle whisper of a God who says, let's give this hopeless case one more year. So they want to know if the Galileans got what they deserved, and Jesus' response is twofold. First, no. No, they didn't. Not at all. Nope. You got that wrong. Secondly, while we're on the topic of people getting what they deserve, 
How about you worry about yourself and do the work you need to do? And while you do the work, know this. God has come near, not in destruction, but by mercy. By the presence of a God who, like a patient gardener, doesn't give up on creation when everyone else is suggesting to cut it down. That feels like good news to me. So let me pause here. These these sections of of Jesus' teaching and warning, quite frankly, are ones that I wish I didn't... um, wasn't the only one left on the sign-up sheet when I, I got the spreadsheet. Um, because they are jarring at times, right? So I want to pause here. What would you hear? What you notice? What makes you uncomfortable? What's, what's good news? What do you think? Really good news that you got this on the sign-up sheet. I feel better about it. Yeah. Oh, well, thanks, thanks be to God. Thanks. <laughs> There's a book that I read that um, I come from a, a family that, that believes in cause and effect always. You know, when I have something go wrong in my day or <clears throat> it's just one of those days, if I call my mom, I know I'm going to get, well, a lot of questions. Did you get enough sleep? Did you get, if it's about Elliot, like what did he eat? Like it's always, there's always something that's saying, it's probably something you did as an underlying message always. So I love the book, um, Everything Happens for a Reason, Another Life that I've Loved. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's so good. And it just re- it talks a lot about this, and it, it just definitely thrashed in it for me. And I, and I know that there's churches, and one recently that my friend was going to place membership at, that she one of the sections of becoming a member, you had to agree that... Everything happens for a reason, and that God is in control of, of all the things. It's a part, it all works for the good, to his plan, which I get. But anyway, and she walked up. She was like, I can't. She, a lot of things have happened to her, and she just couldn't get on board with that. Um, so this has been a topic that I've been wrestling with and, and trying to figure out because of what I've grown up with and what we believe. You know, um, Not that natural disasters were caused. We know that way, but a very underlying yep. you know, what you do reaps whatever. Yep. yep. Excellent. When I hear people that think the way you're talking about, that, like the Bible's really big and it's easy to miss some of the bits in there, but like, there's a really significant <laughs> Most all the bits we can yeah. miss pretty easily. <laughs> so there's like a really significant chunk I feel people like, what's this? Job? Oh no, that's not no, that's not part of the Bible. You're doing wrong and everything goes poorly? No, no, no. But I don't know. It's, it's like the Bible had that really, really clear example. I feel like most things are a little bit confusing, but that one's really, really straightforward. And the he was good, and everything went wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It makes me think about uh, the story where the disciples ask about the man that was sick. Is, was, yeah. is he, like, did he sin, or did his parents sin? Right. Almost yeah. every one of them. Everyone, they yeah. asked that. If he yeah. was dead after one. Yeah. yeah. And um, I remember I went through a personal situation, and I read that verse, and it gave me so much freedom because the thought of that this has happened for the glory of God to be revealed. And because at the time, I was going through something, and I thought, if I do this, you know, what's going to happen if I make this decision? And just... If those words were so comforting. 
I'm in control. I'm, I'm sovereign. I am God. You are not God. And my glory will be revealed, even in this. No matter how traumatic it is, no matter how um, scary and sad and all that, I am God. Do you trust me or not? And I think I had to just say, okay, God, I don't understand. I don't understand why you're doing this, why you're allowing this. But I'm hoping that the glory of God will be revealed. I'll trust your word. You know? And it's just very hard sometimes when you see so much trauma in heart. So I'm uh, in the midst of reading through uh, Genesis right now. And, um, which, one, my parents did not read me all the verses in that Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Just my opening things that go on yeah. in there. Um, but Things that Westboro Baptist Church would pick up, for yeah. sure. For sure. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Um, they, uh, you know, but one thing that strikes me is Genesis in its story that it tells of the origins of Israel is tremendously cause and effect. Abraham lies to Pharaoh and says that Sarah is his sister rather than his wife. And God sends a plague upon the Egyptians because of the sinfulness. And it's through the consequences of their action that Pharaoh uh, realizes that he's been deceived. And he goes to Abraham and he says, why did you do this? You know, and, and, and there's there's cause and there's effect and there's results and then we see that you're a godly man and because of this I will bless you with offspring that are greater than the sands on the seashore. Um, and there's this this tension then with what Jesus later says or with what happens to Job and it's like okay which of these which do I believe and I can see how you could cling to something like that and say well here's an example of cause and effect and you know I, I'm wrestling with that and I think to me it is. Um, the story of the Egyptians wrestling with this idea of faith, uh, which is something that we leave out of our modern equation so often, that, that things happen and uh, reverberations happen in this world that we can't understand and we can't explain, and it feels comforting in our narrative to assign an explanation to them. Um, but sometimes it's just the mechanics of the world that we don't understand moving around us. Um, and I think that's what Jesus is just be careful. Yeah. Signing, yep. Positive effect to that. Yep. Yep. There's a big difference. I, I, I want to hold. I, I'll I'll just speak to myself and secretly project this onto all of y'all. Um, <laughs> like there's a, there's a big difference between what God is up to in the world and my ability to assign it and understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, <coughs> yeah, and that's where that's where I'm afraid we do the most damage is when we figure out and assign motive on either parts, either the people or God. That, that's when we really do some some of our worst work, I think. Any other thoughts? That's really love. Um, <clears throat> the idea of, of uh, repentance in, in uh, relation to the kingdom. Right? Um, that, that struck me. I, I hadn't 
make that observation before. Um, but then it, it does it does lead me, like I think your whole sermon is still, it is uh, in what ways am I much more? Right. Yeah. Um, in, in what ways am I asking of myself um, to find cultural superiority as opposed to um, finding goodness in the kingdom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, the kingdom is exterior to me um, and not my identity. It's, it's who God is and what God is. Um, and that, that's, a, that's a big struggle. It's a big yeah. dog to take. Yeah. 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 I don't know why I can't. <laughs> well, I have some ideas. We'll talk after that. <laughs> Thanks, Marcia. I was just going to say, um, your example of, you know, what did the girl do to deserve this? Like, yeah. someone is sexually assaulted, and it's like I've watched kind of some of these different churches go through revelations of sexual abuse scandals. Yeah. And there's very much this, well, you know, if we men were being men and the women were submitting appropriately, we would be able to protect them appropriately and this would not happen. <laughs> and uh, we fail at the judgment of yeah. God coming on. And I'm like, okay, this is the wrong, you're still focusing on the wrong things. You're still focusing on yep. the wrong things. You can't, you can't be man enough or woman enough to prevent something like that from happening to you yep. or to someone that you love. Um, and I think that a lot of it is just motivated by fear and so mm-hmm. when I'm looking at someone else and I'm saying I don't want that to happen to me and I'm afraid then or I'm afraid of what God is going to do to me or I'm afraid of this yeah. like those types of changes that are motivated by fear or yeah. judgments that are motivated by fear those are not from God yeah. like his changes are loving yep. um, they're not and so that kind of helps me differentiate between I want you to be a better person and I'm going to stomp on you if you are not a better person right. that's like the difference yep. yeah yeah, because the people who come to Jesus, they don't care about the Galileans. They're not asking out of genuine support or care for the Galileans. They want to figure out what happened so that I can make sure I don't do it. Yeah. Uh, and, and the good news is always, always, I mean, it's, it, it's so striking to me. After Jesus says this really hard, weird stuff in chapter 12, and the whole, I didn't come to bring peace with the sword and... I don't, I don't want to do that. Um, but but they, they hear that, and their first response is to point to death and punishment. And Jesus says no. He says, let me tell you a parable. Uh, and it's a parable of a patient God who says, I don't operate out of the worldview that you have where we get what we deserve. Um, I'm going to be patient. If it doesn't bear fruit, um, let's give it another year and see what happens, which is which is fundamentally different. Um, side note: uh, this week I've wondered if the sword that Jesus brings, the disruption of peace that Jesus brings, is a result not of picketing and signs and. Drawing signs. Thank you. Stands in the line. Um, but it, but but it's but the divisive and disruption of peace comes from this uh, radical willingness to love people who don't deserve it. Oh, I. 
I spoke with a friend yesterday that I haven't talked to in a really long time, and he he they're they're he's dealing with some really hardcore identity stuff, um, and he he's going to have a really long go of it with his family and his friends and his church community. Uh, his life is going to be picketed. I mean, I, I couldn't, I couldn't sing this morning because every song that we sang, I thought of my friend. And wondering, um, are there people who are willing to be disruptive in their own systems uh, to to stand and be with my friend? Are they willing to risk father against son, mother against daughter, to say, I'm I'm choosing this. I've never really thought of that before, um, but in light of this story and what Jesus says and then this parable and then looking for what the divisive thing is, I've, I've wondered if that which disrupts peace that Jesus is talking about is this radical patience that we see in the gardener who says, though this seems like a hopeless case, we're not giving up on it. So I must confess uh, that while I don't believe that God operates as one who gives people what they deserve, uh, I do hope that God gives people who do believe that what they deserve. Uh, I see the Westboro Baptist Church folk and others, and I think, what terrible representation of God. But God, if you could give them what they deserve, that, that'd be okay with me. And I'm working on it. So in the season of Lent, Uh, As we journey down this path of obedience, let me say this. May God be gracious to give us all eyes to see and ears to hear. May the Spirit give us the courage to resist the urge to point fingers and figure out who deserves what. Rather, may the Spirit give us the courage to look deep within ourselves and attend to that which we've been hiding and avoiding for far too long. And may we trust that God is patient and merciful and loving towards all of creation, towards Galileans and Pharisees, Westboro Baptists and Pat Robertson, you and me. Now when it's all said and done, in the face of the patient gardener, None of us actually get what we deserve. As God looks at us and says, ah, let's give this hopeless case called storyline one more year. Thanks be to God.